Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the, and there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. Well, I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome everybody to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Eric Hansen and today I'm joined by Carter Carls. Together we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Tyler James, who's normally a part of our podcast, is on furlough this week. And this week is our 65th podcast that we've ever done, A Pot of Gold. And I think this is the most important one we've ever done. And the first one where football is going to take a back burner. And I'm just going to talk off the cuff out of my heart here. Um, You know, I think when I was a little boy – one of the things I wanted to do was change the world. And somehow I ended up in sports writing and it wasn't really a, uh, a mechanism for me to change the world. But I think through this terrible tragedy of the death of George Lynch, there's a huge opportunity for our country to change the world. And that's why I want to do this podcast today. Again, football is going to be back burner. We'll do a segment on the breaking news later about, Uh, Notre Dame football players returning to campus. I'm going to get some thoughts from Carter, and then we're going to introduce our guest, Ian Williams. And the reason I picked Ian is because I've been covering college football since 1983. And of all the guys that I've covered, I would say Ian is in the top tier of the leaders that I've ever met in in covering football. I, I respect the heck out of his opinion. He was a great guest for us earlier and even sang for us. Uh, but uh, want to have Ian. Ian played at Notre Dame between 2007 and 2010. He played for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, He lives out in the Bay Area right now, and he's been out on the streets involved in this movement. And I'll turn it over to you, Carl, and then we'll go to Ian and have our conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we're doing this, and I'm so appreciative to Ian for joining us because, um, again, people, people think we should stick to sports, but this is something that everyone should be focused on, everyone should be talking about. You've seen how Notre Dame's embraced this with many of their players and coaches have uh, talked on Twitter and, and social media. Braden Lindsay wrote uh, an essay today about it, it's just incredibly tragic what occurred in, in this country with, with George Floyd's death. 
it's been weighing on me this, this past week and uh, it's been really hard to just kind of process it and, and hearing about all the injustice that happens uh, in, in this world. So um, to have someone like Ian join us today, it, it means a whole great deal to me. I just hope that I can ask the right questions and, and that people will be, have an open mind with this discussion and uh, will embrace sort of the topics that we are talking about. Ian, thank you for being with us. The first thing that I want to talk, ask you about is, you know, we've seen this on TV, we've seen it on Twitter, and we know a lot about what the issues are and we're talking about them now. How do we advance the conversation to something meaningful, profound, and enduring, do you think? Ask that question again, because you didn't really ask the question. How do, you, how do we advance the conversation that we've started into something that's lasting, into something that has action to it, that's going to advance it just beyond the talking stage into actual change? Uh, you're going to have to be able to go out and vote. You know, um, you got to put pen to paper. Uh, how do you continue to advance? You continue to talk about it. Uh, you know, it, it's gone on for too long where, you know, people turn, a, turn a, a cold shoulder to or they don't pay attention to or they ignore it. And this is why we are in the situation that we are in now, because it's been ignored for years and years and years and years. And now that you ignore a certain group of people, that's why they burn a city down because that's how they feel inside, because they haven't been listened to. They haven't been heard. So when you visually see a target on fire or AutoZone on fire in Minneapolis, those people, that's how they feel inside. So you're visually seeing how they feel inside. So how, how do we advance? Obviously, police reform, justice reform, uh, police training, um, an overhaul of uh, local, state, um, federal level uh, uh, rules and penalties. Um, it's, it needs to be a, old, a whole overhaul of everything that we currently know right now, because as of right now, it's not working, which is why the country is in such turmoil and unrest right now, because it's not working. It's a great country, yes. But can we be greater? Yes. And how do we begin to do or be greater? We listen to people. We don't just hear them, you know, you have to listen. My three-year-old, she hears me, but sometimes she doesn't listen because she's three. We're all adults. We're all common sense people. We're very smart. We're very educated. If you can put in their GPS and go from point A to point B, that means you have common sense. You know how to get from your home to Starbucks or your home to Culver's or your home to In-N-Out out here. So if you can put that together, you should be able to put listening and hearing together. And that's how you advance this conversation and you keep it alive by talking about it and, and reaching out to everybody about it, not just silent. Oh, well, you know, I sent, I put out a little post yesterday, a little black picture. No, you have to continue to talk about it. If you see any type of racism, call them out on it. Continue the conversation so that people don't forget about it. And I believe you're pro going to a protest tonight and you've been very active, not just out in your community, but, but on social media as well. I'm wondering what you've kind of learned being out there, you know, on the street, protesting, being around other people who are fighting for the same cause. And, and where do you feel like we will be a couple weeks from now and, and what, what will be gained from this? 
Well, on a light note, I've learned some uh, protest chants. So I've learned uh, I've learned that, and I've learned that uh, there's a lot of walking that, has, that goes into protests. I learned that uh, the other day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Angle's pretty sore dealing uh, dealing with all that, but um, uh, just being out there, uh, seeing how many people who don't look like me standing up for me, fighting for our rights or equal rights for everybody, and just understanding that. There's so much love and so much positivity out in the world and so much negativity that we pay attention to where it doesn't need to be paid attention to. There's people out there that love you. There was a guy, I went out there, um, I think it was Sunday, and pretty much, you know, my whole thing of going out there was to obviously get my word across and, you know, peacefully protest, but also to keep people from vandalizing and looting and throwing things at the officers, but that's besides the point, like, duh. Like, I don't want violence, nobody wants violence. But I saw people out there that didn't look like me stood up for me. And I'm telling you about this one guy because it just, it resonated me, resonated to me so much that he didn't even know me, never met me in my life, doesn't know who I am. And he's probably a hundred pounds soaking wet, white guy, and he put his arm in front of me. He said, hey, bro, hey, bro, stand behind me. I got you. All right. I protect you. I got you. And I looked at this man and I'm like, I said, bro, I'm okay. Like, I'm 300 pounds. I'm okay. But just the visual of him wanting to stand up for me, he's never done anything for me, never met me. I've never done anything for him. That just shows me that, you know, there's people out there that care. You know, there's people out here around the world, around the country, out here protesting, getting tear gas shot at them, getting flash bombs shot at them, getting rubber bullets that can do a lot of harm shot at you. And they're out here risking their freedom, their lives, their livelihood, their faces, their bodies. They're putting it all on the line for a great cause because the trouble that you can get into is saying, you know, black lives matter, but no, why, why, why black lives matter? Well, all lives matter, like, duh, <laughs> duh, everybody's lives matter. But as of right now, black people are getting killed at an alarming rate and due to police brutality. So, of course, black lives are at risk right now. So that's why it's black lives matter. It has nothing to do with the flag or the cops or we don't care about white people. It doesn't, no, all lives matter. I'm going to say that one more time for everybody can hear that. All lives matter. But as of right now, black lives matter because we're the ones being killed and, and brutalized in the streets. Um, but getting back to the point, uh, it was just refreshing to see this man stand up for me. And like I said, he doesn't even know me. And for people around the world, in Berlin, London, New Zealand, the Middle East, Asia, South America, like all Canada, all these countries that have nothing to do with me, don't even know me, don't even know George Floyd, protesting and standing up. But I got people here I've known my whole life. I've played ball with. I've gone to school with. We've partied together. We've broken bread together. We've had lunch together. We've had dinner together. We've had cab rides in South Bend together. And... I ask you to fight for my life, to speak up, to say something, and you can't do that. And that's the problem. People who don't know me love me, and people who know me 
don't love me or won't stand up for me. Ian, you know, I was watching um, James Corden show the other night, the Late Late Show, and he started talking about white people's responsibility in this movement. And he turned to Reggie Watts, who's his music guy and announcer and so forth. And Reggie started to kind of tell his story. And he's, I don't know if you saw this, he broke down and there was so much pain. I wanted to reach through the TV and hug him. Um, And I think if I've been tone deaf to anything, it's been the pain. And I realize that not everybody's experience is the same, and yet the pain seems pretty universal. I'm wondering if you could share maybe the pain that you might have had at some point and how maybe this might be able to help it go away. Um, Well, if you're just talking about George Floyd, uh, the pain of seeing a man cry out for his mom the pain of seeing a man, his last few breaths, his last few seconds of life being choked out for no reason. The pain of knowing that could have been me. The pain of knowing that could have been my brother. We've all seen Steven Jackson. I could have been Steven Jackson. I don't have any brothers, but that could have been, I mean, that's not his actual brother, but it's his, you know, my brother. Like I would call Armando Allen, or I would call Emeka Nwanko, or I would call Kerry Neal, or Brian Smith, or any one of those guys, Jimmy Clausen, Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, any one of them, they're my brother. And it just hurt to know his life was taken for no reason. So that hurt, that pain, and just seeing multiple hashtags year, day after day after day after day, week after week after week, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown. There's like so many names that I can't even remember, remember myself. And, it, and it, it, it pains me that like I don't know everyone's names because it hurts to know that they were taken away from their families, their loved ones, their jobs. Breonna Taylor was a, a, a when she like a, 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 a emergency doctor, something like that. I can't remember. Uh, but she's been, but these people have been taken away from their lives for no reason. As in vice versa, you know, our white counterparts, our, our white brothers, you know, they don't get treated the same. So that's the pain that I feel and I see on a daily basis where everything is going on. And I see people on CNN and MSNBC, you may see people looting or rioting. You're seeing their pain. You're visually seeing their pain. And it's ironic that years ago, Colin Kaepernick took a knee for this exact reason. And a few years later, that same knee that people said, oh, he shouldn't have protested. Why is he doing this? Shut up and play football. That same knee that Colin Kaepernick took, Derek Derek Chauvin took and killed the man for eight minutes and 47 seconds on his jugular. And that's this pain to watch that. And it, it was just hurtful to watch that and know that there's certain people out there that still miss the point. Like, how do you watch a man killed on your phone, or on TV, around the world? How do you watch this and then not have any sympathy 
to understand why people are doing what they're doing. And they want to hide behind the flag and hide behind, you know, other things. No, it has nothing to do with the flag. It has everything to do with what is on paper. You know, if I go through my, my records, my medical records, whatever, everything that, it, that is, is on that paper. Same thing with the Constitution. When it says justice for all, equality for all. I'm yeah. going to follow up on that. You, you were teammates with Colin, and I'm wondering if you understood what he was doing right from the get-go. Did you agree with it right from the start? Was it an evolution for you? What, what was kind of your perspective? It was an evolution. So where a lot of people are right now with, hell, he shouldn't have kneeled, he shouldn't have protested, you know, it's all about the flag. I wouldn't be disrespecting the flag, this and da, da, da. That's where I was when I initially saw it. So this was years ago. So when I first saw him do it, I didn't know what he was doing. I'm like, Cap, what are you doing, bro? Like, stand up. Like, disrespecting the flag, bro. This is what we do. We put our hand over, over our chest and we, you know, pledge allegiance to the flag that protects us and allows us to play, go out and play football and make money. And then afterwards, once he started doing the interviews and, and talking about what he was protesting and why, I was like, okay, all right, I'm behind you. I understand now. Okay. And then you start to pay attention to the words of the national anthem and how certain words in the national anthem, you know, it does, it doesn't really sit well and it doesn't apply to all people or the constitution. So after that, after I started to research and educate myself, I quickly understood what he was doing and I was behind him a hundred percent. So fast forward to 2020, four years later, those same people who decided not to educate themselves because it didn't affect them. Racism doesn't affect them. They are where they are right now. They are where, where I was when I first saw it. And that's in your behind schedule. You know, you're late. You're late to the party. The party's already happened. It was a great party, but now you're late to it. Now you got to catch up. And people need to educate themselves and catch up to the party. Because racism is real, and, it, and it's out there. I've seen it. People may not, oh, well, it's not real. Statistics say this. this, is, this is Statistics isn't real. It's numbers. It isn't, it's not experiences. I experienced something doesn't turn into a statistic. I have been thrown on my hood. I've been thrown up against a wall and handcuffed for no reason. I crossed the street at 1130 at night with no cars around. You did? Yes, in LA. This is my, after my rookie year, I'm down in LA, um, staying at the W with some friends. And I go to CBS at like around 1130, 12 o'clock at night to get some things. And I cross over the street and there's literally no cars, literally no cars. It's 1130 at night. And I get stopped by a couple officers. They, you know, start asking me questions, start trying to search me. They eventually put me against the wall. They handcuff me. Um, they eventually get my wallet out. They, you know, go through my wallet. Um, they go pull out my ID. Um, I have a Florida ID still. And, you know, they're asking, you know, why are you here in California? What are you doing here? Uh, I work out here. Oh, what do you work? What do you do? I play football. Okay. Who do you play football for? Uh, San Francisco, San Francisco State. No, the San Francisco 49ers. <gasps> How was it playing for Harbaugh? Man? Hey, you guys, you guys gonna have a good team. You see how, see how the conversation changes? 
And that's my privilege. And I'm an athlete. So think about, you know, you, you want to say white privilege, like it's, it's real because I am a black athlete and I have privilege because Philando Castile, who got pulled over a few years ago and the cop emptied the clip into his chest when his girlfriend in the passenger seat and his daughter in the back seat, he didn't have that luxury. He didn't have that privilege that I had. So when we're talking about Colin Kaepernick and people, you know, hating on him and my experiences and stuff like that, we do this. We speak up for people who don't have a voice. We spoke up. Colin did what he did so that people in Minneapolis wouldn't have to burn down a building for people to listen. But did people listen then? No. So what do people have to do now? They have to burn the building down for people to listen, for people to get arrested. And that cop that uh, killed Philando Castile emptied the clip into his chest. You know what happened to him? Did he get did he get fired or anything like that? Did he get prosecuted? Got administrative leave, paid leave. His daughter was in the back seat. His girlfriend was in the passenger seat. Any one of those bullets could have hit that daughter, hit hit his daughter. And that's gone on in Minneapolis. Now I'm gonna give you a little history. So you remember when Eric Garner got choked out in in in, uh, in New York? And the Minnesota Lynx, the WNBA team, they wanted to protest and wear the I Can't Breathe shirts. They walked into the, the arena, and the Minnesota police said, We're, we are going to leave the arena if you walk in and try to protest and say and wear those shirts. So the WNBA team, they walked out, and the police walked out. That happened. There was another officer by the name of Muhammad Noor. It's a N-O-O-R. Okay. He was driving. He was an officer in the passenger seat. They got a domestic violence call. This is all in, in the same area, Minneapolis. They got a domestic violence call. They pull up in a, in a dark area. A white woman pulls up out of nowhere, and he fears for his partner's life. He pulls out his, his gun, and he shoots one time. He kills her instantly. It was an accident, but he feared for his partner's life. You know what happened to him? He got taken to jail immediately. He got sentenced immediately, 12 and a half years for accident. Did he kill that woman? Yes, he did. But was it an accident? Yes. Did he have his, did he empty the clip into her chest? No. Did he have his knee on her jugular for eight and eight minutes and 40 seconds, 47 seconds? No. So these are the things that people want to turn a blind eye to and say, oh, no, racism isn't real. Privilege isn't real. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you can ask any person who is very open awakened or, or woke or educated that they understand there's privilege, that there's certain things that they can do that we can't do. For instance, whenever I leave my house, I have to calculate every step that I take because I can't go jogging. I could be a Maude Arbery. I can't go bird watching because Amy Cooper might see me and call the cops on me and weaponize her voice by saying a black man is watching me or a black man is out here. And we've all been seeing what has gone on with cops and black people where they get either I'm understand. Um, and, and I get mad at people that say, you know, the cops shouldn't have shot him. Well, you shouldn't have ran or something like that, but you still shouldn't have got shot in the back because you should still be a cop, chase that man down, put him in handcuffs. You shouldn't, your job's not to kill. Your job is to deescalate handcuff and transport. So there's a lot that goes into it with privilege and Colin Kaepernick, his protest, um, 
And there's so much that we can dive into. And I'm sure you got more questions for me. I didn't mean to ramble on. Oh, yeah, I thought you made a, a really good point about how statistics don't show everything. They don't show the weird looks. They don't show what happened with you, that gas station. Um, and, and I want to talk about how celebrities, athletes might be affected by racism, just from what you've experienced. I, I want to read you this quote. Braden Lindsay, wide receiver at Notre Dame, tweeted, if we were learning anything from all of this, I ask that if you value me, if you value me for what I may be able to do on Saturdays for Notre Dame, value me as a black man the other six days of the week too. And I think there's th that misconception of just because you have fame and money means you're immune to racism. And, and athletes, celebrities, they're, they're told, you know, shut up and dribble. Um, don't speak about these topics. What do you think about that? And just how have, how have you seen racism affect you and people who have that fame and that money? Because surely they're not immune to that, that sort of stuff. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're not immune at all because like I told you with the story in LA, they didn't know who I was at first. And most, most people, if your face isn't recognizable, they're not going to, they're going to treat you accordingly. They're going to treat you like your skin color. They're not going to treat you what you what you do on TV or your fame or your money. It doesn't matter when it's in a heated situation. You know what I'm saying? Until they find out who you are. That's when they change, when they find out. But initially, it's this person. You are who you are. They're, they're responding to a call or they're seeing something, and that's how they're going to act. You know what I'm saying? Um, money and fame is not going to help you when you're dealing with a cop until after they find out who you are. And if you don't have enough time... <laughs> To, for them to find out who you are, then you're going to become a, t a statistic or hashtag. Um, but talking about, you know, you know, race and, you know, athletes and celebrity, you know, status and stuff like that. It's our duty to speak out and be the voices of the, of the unheard because that person in Minneapolis who has 10 followers and they say something that truly means something to them, you know, those 10 followers see, maybe they get a couple of retweets, but it doesn't get out. Now a guy like Colin Kaepernick or Odell Beckham or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers says something, it gets everywhere because they have a crap ton of followers. So you see the difference? We have the voice and they don't. So it's our job to speak up. And with racism and sports, let me ask you this. When is the last time you saw a white football player hold out to get a to get a contract? I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna let you think about this. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, when is the, now, speaking for the black black football players, who's the last black football player you know of that held out? And plenty, Aaron Donald. Uh, Cam Newton, Jadavion Clowney, a lot of guys. You know, they had to hold out to get money. Right. I stumped you with that first question, right? You may have. <laughs> Aaron Donald's a two-time MVP, right? Or a uh, defensive uh, player of the year, right? You Should know. he have to hold yeah. out? But J.J. Watt got his, his contract extension before his contract was even over. Nothing against J.J. Watt. He's a great player. Aaron Donald's a great player, too. Why should Aaron Donald have to hold out? But J.J. Watt doesn't have to hold out. J.J. Watt gets read up before his contract even expires. And that's racism in the NFL. That's racism. 
that's privilege. I stumped you. You did. And you probably stumped me on a lot of other things. You're smarter than me, but I'm not smarter than you. We all we all people trying to get from point A to point B. Is this right. uh it's my job to help educate and help people see it from a different perspective because you know, we all do that where we see things from our point of view, our experiences make us who we are. Our reality is from 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 perception in our experiences. That's that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? You haven't lived my reality. So of course you're not gonna be able to see things from my point of view. Just like I don't I don't I'm not able to perfectly see things from your point of view. And that's why speaking and talking and keeping the conversation alive is the best way to advance and get better. Because now I understand where you're coming from. And now you understand where I'm coming from. And now that we have an understanding, now we can compromise. And now we have a compromise. And now we have movement. Speaking of conversations, I know Drew Brees drew ire of a lot of people last night, including yours. I saw your video um, on Twitter. And he apologized today. I wonder what your take is on his apology. And are we going to have awkward moments in this conversation or did Drew just really drop the ball in this situation? He threw a big time interception in a big time game. That's what he did. He didn't drop the ball. He threw a big time interception and cost his team a big time win. Right. It was truly disappointing to see Drew Brees say that, especially in a time like this, knowing what's going on right now, knowing that his word it's very strong in the community, very strong in sports, very strong across the world. And for you to be in a locker room day in and day out with black athletes, your black brothers that you call brothers and family, you love them, your kids play with them. And then for you to see what's going on and see the issues that are happening and you still purposely are ignorant to the fact that it had nothing to do with the flag, to take a knee, to protest. But it had everything to do with equal rights and police brutality for it to stop, for it to get checked, for them to be held accountable. That's what it was for. I commend your grandfather and your, your people who fought in World War II and fought in these other wars that fought for our freedoms, for us to be able to have this conversation right now at this point. I appreciate them. Truly, true Breeze. But, it would be disgraceful for your grandparent to know that you are sitting here in 2020 downplaying and talking bad about someone who exercised one of their rights to be able to peacefully protest. And that is, that is exactly what your grandfather went to war for, was for equal rights for everybody and for people to be able to peacefully protest. You know. So when someone does protest, and there's a problem with it, how should people protest? It's like no matter what way of protest, it's not, it's not a good way. So how should people protest? So you force people from being peaceful into being violent because if I'm peaceful, like nothing hap- nothing's happening. You, you guys, what, what, what's the definition of, of, of insanity? craziness what's what's the definition definition of that insanity the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result <laughs> say it one more time 
<laughs> doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Exactly. So you have peaceful movements, peaceful protests, peaceful protests, peaceful protests. Nothing happens. It's literally insanity to think it's going to change. So you think the people in Minneapolis didn't know that? What happened with those cops now? All four of them are, are, are behind bars now, right? Yeah. See? They're not insane. So people need to stop calling them insane and crazy. They're people. They're hurting. Everybody reacts differently. Everybody reacts differently to death. You know, people, some people cry. Some people are like, <laughs> I just don't know why this would happen to me. You know, everybody reacts differently. Same thing. You know, you are so hard on civilians who haven't been trained to hold their emotions in or control their emotions. They, they're civilians for a reason. They have been trained. Officers have been trained. Now, has it been seven, six weeks of training? And I wish they had more training and they had daily training? Yes. And I hope that's one of the conversations that we you know, start to talk about. But this is why people are doing what they're doing. It's because they haven't been heard and because they're not insane, because they know if they keep doing the same thing over and over and protesting and nothing happens because of people like Drew Brees who wrap themselves in the flag, a material, a, a thing. And that thing is more important than a person's life. Even though that flag that he wraps himself in, he wraps himself in, represents freedom for all and equality for all and the right to be able to peacefully protest. And it's ignorant that he would go on a live broadcast. I don't know if in a person like Drew Brees, whenever I do interviews, I know the questions. So I'm not blindsided by a question. And I have to say no comment where you know what I was going to say by saying no comment. Or you know where I stand by saying no comment. For him to still know that question is going to be asked and still answer it. That was a big F you to all his teammates that he throws the ball to and he relies on to. You think those, all those touchdowns that he got, all those yards, was just him? No. Last season, his left tackle, Teron Armstead, he's black. His left arm, Andrews Pete from Stanford, he's black. He's mixed. Their, their center that they just drafted, Cesar Ruiz, I think he's from Michigan. He's mixed. He's black. His running back, Alvin Kamara, he's black. Ted Ginn, he's black. Michael Thomas, he's black. The defense, Cameron Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, they're black. And they get the ball back into his hands, right? So everything that Drew Brees has done, it's because, it's because black people helped him. His black teammates helped him. And when it comes time for Drew Brees to help his black teammates speak out and speak up and bring awareness to what's going on, what does Drew Brees decide to do? And I'll leave you with that question right there. I do want to follow up on that just because Drew Brees also has, after retirement, it's been announced that he's going to be on Notre Dame football broadcasts on NBC. He issued an apology today, and there were kind of mixed reviews about how, I guess, his apology was perceived. I'm wondering what you – There's a weak apology, by the way. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the apology and also just him being on Notre Dame football broadcasts. Is this something that you won't really forget and, and you won't really like seeing him on there? Or 
is this something that people can can move forward from? Well, one, I'm glad they're getting rid of Doug Flutie because I'm tired of having a BC dude talking about Notre Dame football. So that's first and foremost. So get Doug Flutie up out of there. I respect you, Doug, but go back to BC. It's Notre Dame over here, all right? We big brother. Um, and then Drew, you know, obviously Drew would be a great get to, for Notre Dame to be able to break it down. I know they're hoping that he's just like Tony Romo. Tony Romo's done a great job breaking down film and breaking down the game for CBS. Um, and they're hoping, you know, Drew Brees does the same thing. But, no, this is something I won't forget. And a lot of football players and a lot of people who watch Notre Dame football won't forget who aren't racist because you can't just uh, issue an, an apology a day after and it just be words. I want to see your face. I want to see you get in front of this, Drew. I don't want to see no words. Your words don't mean nothing. I want to see your facial expression. I want to see if you truly mean this. When you hide behind words, that tells me it didn't really mean nothing to you. I just give you some words, you know what I'm saying? It's like sending me a letter. Like, I don't want no letter. Call me. FaceTime me. Book a fight. Come see me and talk to me face to face. Don't send me no letter. Don't send me no postcard. I don't care about no postcard. I'm going to throw that away. But for the most part with Drew, I appreciate him trying, trying, keyword, to backpedal and know that, like, all right, I was, I was tripping. I was out of pocket because I got black teammates, you know what I'm saying? And with that apology, it's like, you know, do you accept it? Do you not? You know, it's... <sighs> It's like whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like you already showed your true colors and you can't backpedal behind the message and, and just say like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry for the tone death. Like he still didn't apologize because he still believes you shouldn't take a knee and disrespect the flag, even though it has nothing to do with disrespecting the flag. It has nothing to do with the flag. Ian, um, if you could plug yourself back in and say you were playing Notre Dame football now, how would you as a student athlete, carry this message, how would you incorporate it into being a football player at Notre Dame? And then the second part of that question is, would it have been possible for you to do that when you actually were a football player? How do you think it would have gone over had you tried to empower the message at that point? Uh, if I can go back and – protest or be on campus and um and this happened on campus when I was there um I could tell you one thing I wouldn't I wouldn't be as passive as I was before because you know certain instances happened on campus where you know they they you know you recall the n-word or um was this dude what is this n-word doing at my party um get this n-word out of here um no drinks for the n n-words um no nah, this cab's full n-word um, you know, it, it's been multiple instances where, you know, just, you just let stuff slide because, you know, I can't, I can't beat your ass. Excuse my language. I can't fight you here on camp. I'm going to get thrown out. Like I can't mess you up because your parent probably, you know, donates and probably built one of these buildings over here. So I can't, I can't split your lip or anything like that. So I'm just going to let you be. So I was, I was really passive in, in, in high school and college, but as of now, because I got kids, because I see the world for what it is now, um, I'm not passive no more. This is why I'm speaking out. And this is, this is my platform now. You know, I'm not going to go out here and fight you. That would have been 18 year old, 19 year old me that would have fought you because I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't know how to get my point across to you, but I just like splitting your wig. But now I know how to fight with my words. I know how to fight with my votes. I know how to fight with, 
my intelligence. Um, and that's where I am right now. So I'm, I, so that's why I'm using my voice. I'm using everything that I can. I wish I could have been on campus and done more um, in the community. Um, Cause I know outside of uh, Notre Dame, it's, it's not the greatest of communities out there. Um, and I wish I would have done more. And then, you know, for players on, on campus now, um, I think they've done a good job at allowing players to grow um, exponentially because now they're doing, you know, internships in different cities for different companies and stuff like that. And, going abroad to different countries and they're really experiencing the world and they're bringing those experiences back to Notre Dame. And I hope they can share those with other students and people in the South Bend area to know that, you know, the world's a big place and there's a lot of love in the world. There's a lot of positivity in the world. And this is what you need to focus on to be successful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it like, I can only imagine those kids cause I know they want to stand up and they want to fight, but at the same time, they got to be ready for workouts at 6am. They got to be ready for class at 8 a.m. They got to be ready for practice. They got to be ready for games. They got to study. They got to have their study hall from 7.30 to 9.30 at night. They got to go back and get sleep because they got to be up again at 5 a.m. to be ready for workouts. It's hard, you know, um, but it challenges you. And that's what Notre Dame does. It challenges you. That's what college does. It challenges you to be the best that you can be. So um, I, if I can say anything to those kids now, um, I commend them for being student athletes and being the best that you can be. And like I told you guys earlier, if you see some kind of racism or somebody say something, don't or, or call somebody out, call them out. Say something like, hey, man, hey, that's not cool, bro. That's not cool. Because the, the my mistake was letting it slide. And now they think it's OK that they can continue to do that or do that to other people. But I could mess them up because now that they think it's OK to say around me, they say it around other people. And I'm not everybody. There's people out there that's different than me that you say the N word around, they're going to hit you right in your jaw immediately. No questions asked. I'm not going to do that. So I set people up for failure by being passive and not aggressive enough with them to let them know that's wrong or don't say that. Um, but I commend, I, I've seen a lot of the athletes, uh, you know, posting and um, talking about it on social media and that's pretty much all they can do right now. They're, they're very busy student athletes. They're like you said, they're getting back to campus very soon. I know they're eager to start working out and training and they're going to have to kill themselves to get back in shape and get ready for, for the season. And you know, this is, this is their job. Um, but I commend them for speaking out because you know, even though Notre Dame's a great uh, university, um, it is predominantly white and it's Catholic and, you know, there are, you know, people here and there, like you said, you know, um, that love me on game days. They love me on Saturdays, but they hate me Monday through Monday through Friday on, and on Sundays. And those are the people I want to reach out to. And the kids are trying to reach out to to let them know I am more than just a golden domer. I'm a, I'm a black person. I'm successful. I'm intelligent. I love. I hate. I like. I dislike. I taste, I eat, I party. It's like everybody parties in, in, in college. I do my work. I work out hard. I'm just like every other kid. I just have a different pigmentation on my skin because of where my people are from. And we, we've seen quite a few, not just individuals, but organizations, teams, botch the messaging, you know, get, get backlash for, for how they've handled this. Just last night, uh, Florida State head coach Mike Norvell had a lot of backlash because 
He, he told the athletic that he had individual conversations with all 85 scholarship players. Then their star defensive tackle, Marvin Wilson, says that did not happen. He just sent a text in the group message and there was no dialogue. There was no discourse there. And I wonder how you feel like Notre Dame has handled their response. Every assistant coach and Brian Kelly have released a statement over – 25, 30 players have, have voiced their concerns and opinions on social media. I'm sure you've, you've seen some of that, wondering how you feel like they've handled it, and, and then how you would like to see them take action beyond those words. Uh, well, speaking about Florida State, um, just don't lie. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. Don't lie to the media because your players, like, it, it, this is not 1990 where you can control everything that the media or your players see because everything was on TV, so you just turn off the TVs and no newspapers. People have phones now. People have Google now. People have the internet now, so like Twitter. So everything that you say, it gets back to these players because they all have social media. Did the coach talk to every single player? He did. He sent a text. That's all he had to say. I sent text out to all my players saying, hey, I know what's going on right now. I'm with you. Florida State's with you. We all love you. Um, text me back, call me back, come by the office and come see me. Um, that's just, this is pretty much, you know, how I, you know, reach out to all my players. You know, obviously it's hard to reach out to or, or speak to 85 players, especially everything that's going on. And um, this is pretty much what I tried to do. And I, I left the door open for my players. That's all the coach had to say. Instead of lying and try to make it seem like, oh, I sat and spoke to all my players and, you know, had a conversation with them. And don't lie because your player, bro, you, you, people act like you're stupid. And we have no common sense. Like, we see you. We hear you. Going on the floor, uh, getting away from Florida State and, and all of that, because I don't even really worry about Florida State. They didn't offer me, so I don't care about Florida State. Um, <laughs> uh, with what Brian Kelly, uh, I have no problem with Brian Kelly. I have no problem with any of those coaches, Mike Elston, none of those coaches, because I know and I know them personally. And they may have their own opinions behind closed doors, but it's behind closed doors. They've never shown that to me to my face. And I appreciate that because you that's, that's the beautiful thing about this country. You can have your opinions. And it could be wrong or, or as, as crazy and outlandish as it could be. Keep it to yourself. It's your opinion. Keep it behind closed doors. As long as you don't show it to my face, I'm cool. But Brian Kelly and all the coaches have done a great job getting in front of this. Um, I know they do a lot in the community. I already reached out. I already mentioned that, that they're doing a lot in the community, allowing their players to get out and experience the world. Um, and they're doing their parts. I mean, if you look back at, if you think about, you know, you know, black communities, you know, a lot of these coaches are helping a lot of these kids. I was helped. You know, I don't know what I would be doing if I didn't play football. You know, football allowed me to get a scholarship to Notre Dame, and obviously I wouldn't have been able to pay for a scholarship. So, you know, these coaches uh, uh, are helping these athletes get out of situations and, and giving them opportunities. Uh, so they're doing, they're doing a great job. Um, I commend Brian Kelly, uh, and I've I loved Brian since he first got to Notre Dame. When he first had the – he brought him to the main room and – um, had his first speech with us. You know, I respected him then. I respected him because he had been through multiple programs and he has, he's won at multiple programs. And he was bringing in three, four defense, which I loved. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of uh, 
compassion and love and understanding between the players and the coaches because, you know, most of the players are black and most of the uh, coaches are white. I mean, it is, I mean, it is what it is. But um, I feel like everybody loves everybody up in, with that university and that program. And we see it. I see it. Uh, I remember at the um, the playoff where we played Clemson uh, a couple of years ago at, at at Dallas in Dallas, and I haven't seen Coach Kelly in probably or spoken to him in, in years. Probably since I graduated, I haven't seen him. And me and RJ Blanton are on the sidelines, um, you know, for the game. And Coach Kelly runs out and he sees us. Ian, RJ, man, how you guys doing? Out of nowhere, like Coach ain't seen me. And y'all be, y'all be players he's had, and he sees us and he knows us immediately. That just told me right there. He he really he really likes us. I mean, he he really does. He's he's down to earth. And he and he's a rider, and people see that. People know that. And if you can ride for me, I'll ride for you. And with the coaches coming out and getting in front of in front of this and speaking out and saying something and letting people know where they stand, those players see that and they're gonna fight even harder once they get a chance to go out there and condition and work out and finally get into games and training camp. They're going to remember all this, that their coaches rode for them because now they're going to ride for their coaches to make sure they don't get fired. Ian, you mentioned you had a three-year-old daughter. How old are your kids? Seven, five, and three. Seven, five, and three. Mm -hmm. So my last question to you is, what do you hope to tell them 2020 meant to you? How do you hope the story evolves? How do you hope it ends? I saw an interesting uh, meme on Instagram the other day um, on someone's story. They posted, so we all studied the civil rights movement. We all studied slavery and we've all sat there and thought about what we would do if we lived in that time. Well, you're doing that right now. Whatever you, whatever you would be doing then, you're doing it right now. So I want to be able to tell my kids, I wasn't sitting at home watching TV, scared to go out, scared for my life. Um, didn't want to risk anything for other people. Screw them. I don't know them. So like, I don't want to go and get my eye shot out or, or get my skin burned or get my eyes burned from pepper spray. I didn't care. I care about you guys. I care about everybody. I care about what's right. So I'm out there fighting. If something happens to me, something happens to me. I know that but I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself and other people around me. But I know there's different variables out there that I can't control, but I want them to know that your dad, just like George Floyd, her daughter, his, his daughter said, my daddy's changed, changing the world. I want my kids to know that my, that their dad did what he could in his realistic power to try and change the world, to make it a better place for them. Yeah, and I, I got one last question for you. And again, I want to thank you for coming on because this has been really enlightening for me and, and just very helpful and productive. And um, I think the reality is, is there will be people who listen to this podcast and there will be people who disagree with you. There will be people who don't like that we're talking about this stuff on a sports podcast. Um, and, and there are various things that they may have disagreed with, with you about what you just said. I'm wondering what you say to those people who don't like talking about these issues 24 seven, or, or they don't see eye to eye with you in, 
certain respects. What, what's your message to those people who are hard to convince and, and don't really see eye to eye with you? I can tell them, I understand where you're coming from. I love being able to say that to people. Like I understand where you're coming from because I try to think about everything in multiple aspects. I'm like, um, I'm like Dr. Strange when he was going through multiple, um, um, realities of, of, of how to defeat Thanos. Remember that scene in, in, in Avengers where he's just going through multiple, um, scenarios to be able to defeat him. And I try to do that. And, I thought about sports and what's going on right now with no sports around. And I, I, I started to realize the reason people hate it cap so much or hate the conversation of sports or, or politics and sports, because people come to sports, they come to a sporting event to have fun, to enjoy themselves, to watch a product on the field and get wasted and yell and scream and watch somebody get hit. And, Ooh, and ah, they don't want to talk about politics. This is their chance to escape from politics and Democrats and Republicans and money here and money this. And, and, and sports is their escape. I was at a, um, I hate that I got to mention this school, but I was at the Stanford Innovation of a uh, um, sports um, conference this past year. And Condoleezza Rice was there and she was speaking and um, uh, she was talking about the Olympics and how the Olympics Every year, no matter what, for the most part, turmoil in the country or, or amongst the world, all countries can put aside their differences to meet in one city, compete against one another, and then go back to their separate countries and continue to hate themselves or hate each other. Sports allows that. Sports is the... What's the word I'm looking for? I know you guys got... Sports is the... The um, the distraction. They there's the word. They escape for a lot of people, and when Colin Kaepernick took that knee, now that escape be became politics. So I under I understand where people say I don't want to talk about this because it's frustrating. You know what I'm saying? It, it makes me not want to look at sports or watch this. Like I understand, I see it, but with everything going on and with injustice going on, it was the only platform that he could think of that would resonate with everybody and piss enough people off for them to listen. But I understand you people. Like I understand. I, I get it. Sports is sports. This is like these few months without sports. I see it now. Like sports is a distraction. It is a pure distraction. Like think about it. We'd be in the middle of the finals right now. The NBA finals and then the summer Olympics be kicking off right now. And then other things be going on right now. NASCAR be going on right now. All these other sports, you know what I'm saying? And sports is the big distraction. It's a bit people's escape. So I understand like keep sports and politics separate, but this is the only way change is going to be made in this country. It's the only way. So to those people um, who may say, uh, you know, like disagree with me, that's the cool thing about this country. <laughs> you have the right to your opinion. You have the right to your voice and your, and your speech, your freedom of speech. You have the right, these rights. Okay, let's agree to disagree. But I just want you to understand where we're coming from, where I'm coming from. I want you to understand what's going on. I want you to understand if you continue to teach, which 
these racist or, you know, backwards ideologies to your kids, it's just going to continue the cycle. It's going to continue the cycle, going to continue the cycle. And this is where we put our foot down, we cross the line or we draw that line in the sand. Be like, all right, you're either here or you're here. But to those people, I understand where you're coming from. And I apologize that um, everything's been affected and, you know, we've made sports uncomfortable, but sports <clears throat> for us is our way to escape also. But as soon as we get done with that game, that escape is no more. We're right back to reality. I know when I'm on the field and I'm playing and it's third down and 12 and I got to get the Drew Brees or I got to get the Aaron Rodgers, I know nobody's going to pull out a sniper and shoot me. But once I take off that helmet and I go to Walgreens or I go out into the park and I'm playing with, with my kids in a kite and possibly somebody can see that and think I'm a threat, see where that, that escape ends. I wanted to be pure bliss for everybody. I wanted to be a utopia for everybody. Not just football players, not just for black people, not just for white people, not just for Latino people, not just for Asians, not for Middle Eastern, for everybody. All walks of life. Utopia for everybody. Ian, can't thank you enough for coming on. And you, as you know, you know how to get a hold of me. If there's anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Eric, I appreciate you, man, always. Thank you and so much. What a great first conversation to have with you. Yeah, bro. I really, yeah, bro. really appreciate it. And it's great to get your perspective. And I hope people listen to this with an open mind, even if they disagree with you. You made some exactly. great points and it's awesome that we had this today. Exactly. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for giving me the platform. I appreciate you guys for covering Notre Dame football, the best program in the land. Thanks. Take care, Ian. All right, y'all. Go Irish. Okay, that was great. Ian has always been one of my favorites to have on the podcast, one of my favorites to interview, and I respect him so much as a leader and as a man. So, boy, I learned a lot and, and really appreciate him being on. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, we're going to do a little bit of football. There was some breaking news today. Um, Notre Dame has laid out its plan on how it's going to bring football players back to campus. Just a few basics, and then we'll talk about it with Carter a little bit here. Um, the players start arriving Monday, and it'll be a 10-day window. And so they'll be coming from all over the country. Alex Ahrensberger will be coming from Germany. Um, then from June 15th to June 19th, Everybody, coaches, people that are going to be around the players, and the players themselves will get tested. They will get a diagnostic test, and they will get an antibody test. And then on June 22nd, the team will do begin um, weightlifting and running, basically, the, their voluntary workouts. This is going to include the nine freshmen that will be on campus as students for the first time, even though they'll be taking classes online, they will be on campus. Everybody's going to stay at the Morris Inn and single occupancy rules rooms. There's a lot of detail in this plan, and I bet Carter read every detail of it and knows it backwards and forwards. Well, I wouldn't say that, but 
I do have some questions for you just for the listeners, the, sure. the details, uh, because obviously this is so complicated. One thing goes wrong. It could change the approach, could change everything. Um, you mentioned in your story there are three phases into right. getting the players together. What can you tell us about what that will look like and how they may change depending on what happens? Right. And one thing I'll say right off the top when you said one thing can go wrong, a positive test isn't necessarily something that is going wrong. They anticipate that there will be positive tests either at the beginning or at some point during this. It's an outbreak that you're trying to avoid. But phase one, they're going to have the players broken down into 10 player pods. So these guys will all work out together. Um, they'll probably sit together at dinner at the Morrison, which is where they're going to have all their meals. And so they will keep the 10, 10 people together. And it's somewhat random, random except for the nine you know, new freshmen. They'll be in a pod of their own. And so – and then everybody – you know, that comes, you know, you're going to be working out indoors. You're going to be lifting indoors. So you're going to be wearing masks in phase one if you're lifting indoors. If you're a coach, you're wearing a mask. And there's going to be limits on how many people can be in a, a given building at a certain time. I think they anticipate getting through that phase in a couple of weeks. And if they have done so without a major outbreak, then they will move to phase two, which will be as many as 50 players in one setting. So again, you're going to have then more players in the weight room, although I think you're going to still space things out pretty well. You'll have more players running together, maybe more players eating together. And then finally, phase three is unlimited players together, Still going to be wearing masks when you're working out, still wearing masks indoors. Um, and so that, that's the least restrictive. What's what's doesn't kind of have a phase of its own, but I wrote about it in the story, was at some point you're going to go to required workouts and practices, and then you're going to have contact. And that kind of raises the whole level of this, you know, higher to a, to a different standard. Yeah, it is an important distinction that it is voluntary. So, Eric, it, it's if a parent or a family or a player is uncomfortable with, with going, they, they don't have to, right? They can stay at home. That's correct. They could stay at home or they could stay at the Morris Inn and eat free food and just <laughs> not work out. Um, so I asked Ron Paulus if he anticipated – an, a full cooperation, a full group there. And he said that he did. He didn't answer the question as directly as I would have liked him to. Um, one thing Rob Hunt, the head trainer, um, mentioned later is he said that everybody has a different experience with COVID-19. Even you and I do. You know, you've been around your family in Texas and you've seen other relatives. I haven't hugged my grandkids since February, and I haven't hugged another human being since February. Now, that's going to change this weekend, but our experiences are very different. 
and and the players are in the same boat. And so some uh, have no fear of this whatsoever. They can't wait to be around their teammates. They can't wait to feel normal again. There are others that are really cautious. And so the, the staff is very aware of that. And what they need to do is convince them that they're in the safest possible environment with all this testing, with isolation, with quarantines, with um, tracing and tracking. So, you know, I think they're going to be very open to people that have hesitancies about that if it either comes up before they get to campus or once they arrive. Yeah, that, that's very important to note that every player, every city, every state is very different. Um, Ian Books from Northern California, I, I believe he went to Houston, hung out with Brock Wright uh, a couple weeks ago. Talked with Kevin Bauman last week, tied in incoming freshman. He's hardly gone out at all because he lives right. in New Jersey. And that's way, that has way more cases. It has a lot more concern there and, and law restrictions. I'm wondering kind of the hypotheticals. Obviously, when you plan for these things, you have to account for any possibility. Um, and, and so I want to ask what, what you think and what you know Notre Dame would do if, say, three players show up, let's say Ian Book, Kevin Austin, Jafar Armstrong, test positive for COVID-19. You mentioned in your story that it's single occupancy rooms at the Morris Inn. How would they treat that? What would be the process like if they didn't have to be hospitalized and they were either asymptomatic or just had symptoms that were mild enough to stay in a room? So their protocol with that would be they, they're out of the Morrison. They will be isolated in a private setting um, so that they wouldn't be around any teammates, any coaches, and so forth until they were able to test negative again. Um, so, so even if they just presented symptoms and hadn't been tested positive yet, they would also isolate those players. They show up with a sore throat at practice, they're going to be isolated until they have a chance to take a test. Now, the tests have 48-hour turnarounds, so that's why you would have to isolate somebody with simply symptoms before you can figure that out. Once they have isolated them, then the tracing element goes into place. You need to find out who that person came in contact with for the last few days now, again, Notre Dame is going to be different than a lot of schools. A lot of them will just test people as they get to campus. Notre Dame is going to be testing throughout. Um, so th so it's going to, they're going to have a little bit better, I think, handle on things. Now, I was in college not long ago, and people my Me age – Me too. <laughs> we, yeah. We, we feel like we're invincible sometimes. Uh, it's it's yeah. just a thing. And we like to party. We like to hang out with our girlfriends. We like to go out and go to Corby's, you know. Like, we want to, to do things. Um, and obviously, there have been restrictions during this time. Um, but I'm wondering how that will be handled by Notre Dame. Can – Jeremiah Usukoromoa see his girlfriend. Uh, can Brock Wright go to a bar and, and party it up? What, what will that look like, uh, and, and how will they handle each person? 
Well, I, I think, you know, college kids are college kids and they know that there, there's a couple things. One is they're going to try to appeal to their sense of responsibility, responsibility as a teammate, responsibility for the season that they possibly can have. This may be Brian Kelly's most talented team. So they want to tell them, look, we know your college kids were also in a pandemic for the first time playing in a football season since Newt Rockney's first season in 1918. So let's, let's all be in this together and make some sacrifices. Knowing that kids are going to be kids, you know, there's not going to be constant surveillance of whether they're leaving their rooms at the Morris Inn and going somewhere other than football facilities. You know, kids have girlfriends. Kids will want to go get a burrito at um, Chipotle. Um, and that's just going to be part of it. What they want to do is really minimize those. You know, Ron Paulus, who's the associate athletic director for football, said that they are going to try to plan activities. So what does that look like? You know, maybe they all go to a certain arcade that's been sanitized and they're all in the same arcade or they go to Brian Kelly's lake house and they visit, you know, that which Brian Kelly typically does during training camp, has everybody over to his lake house. And again, with all these people being tested constantly, then you would figure that they're going to be in a pretty safe environment. So they're going to try to make the attraction of going outside the Morrison less attractive by trying to have some of these events for them. But again, it's not a perfect system. Kids will have to live their lives. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I didn't ask about, I don't know if that'll still be going on once we get there, but I noticed the University of Texas, their players are going to protest uh, tonight in Austin. And so, you know, will Notre Dame kids want to go protest? Um, and that'll be a really interesting thing if that happens. You know, they'll have to wear masks. They'll have to social distance. I think when we've seen the protests in South Bend, they actually have kind of been like that with the people that, you know, non-students that live here. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out. This week added a lot of clarity. We have we now know what's going to happen with the Navy game. It's being relocated to Annapolis. It's probably getting moved to September 5th or 6th as opposed to the August 29th date. You wrote a little bit about how Notre Dame will benefit from this, having it a week later. Um, Brian Kelly had been on the record that he would prefer having six or seven weeks to prepare and condition his team why is Notre Dame more equipped to handle the virus concerns, the, the uh, obviously what's, what's happening in the country and just uh, the preparation before the college football season? Well, I think let, let's just look at from a football standpoint first, and then we'll go into the virus factor. As far as a football team – preparing for Navy, preparing for its season, where Notre Dame has a big advantage is they have a third-year quarterback. So they're not having a quarterback competition. They're not going to have to try to layer that into the hyper-cardio ramping up uh, that's going to happen in the first part of training camp and then 
among everything else, position battles. They don't have many of those at other positions. As far as scheme, you know, Notre Dame hired Tommy Reese. There's not going to be an overhaul of the offense. There's going to be some tweaks. But as far as an overhaul, they're basically going to know the terminology and, and his philosophy. He's going to be calling different plays than Chip Long, but a lot of them are going to be out of the same playbook or, or very similar. And then defensively, you haven't had a scheme change there either. You really look at two position groups where you go, you know, there's going to be a real challenge here, running back and cornerback. Wide receivers, they're going to have to work on timing with Ian Book, but I think that group is super talented. I think they're going to be much better than people think. Now, as far as the virus and so forth, Notre Dame is just, more committed, has more resources committed to this. I think all schools have done a really good job of trying to get health departments involved and and, and sharing resources. Um, Dr. Matt Leesler today was talking about how much, it's unprecedented how much schools are, are sharing with each other in terms of information on how to do things the best way with this. But not everybody's as committed as Notre Dame is to testing. And then when their student population, your regular student population arrives August 10th for classes, there's a huge commitment to testing the student population and doing the tracking and tracing that they will start doing with the football team this summer. Eric, just last question from me. You mentioned phase three is when the team can have an unlimited amount of people working out together. Um, where do you see that looking? What do you see that looking like once students arrive August 10th? And how do you feel like Notre Dame is going to be approaching things into the season? And I think you kind of touched on some of these points a little bit, but just making sure we cover every aspect of your story and what, what will it look like a couple months from now? That is a very difficult question to answer because a lot of what it looks like depends on not only the behavior of all the Notre Dame football players, it depends a lot on the behavior of the community of South Bend around Notre Dame. It depends on the behavior of people across the country. Are we going to have outbreaks and epidemics in certain areas where maybe we have to go backwards in terms of how many freedoms we have? And going out, but let's say that things play out kind of on the curve they are in terms of St. Joe County, Indiana, and what how we think Notre Dame is committed to this. I think again, we're gonna see positive tests from time to time. I just think it's going to be normal and the 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 um, objective is not to have zero positive tests, it's to have zero outbreaks. It's to really minimize the damage and really put that tracking and tracing uh, technology to work uh, so that these players can stay safe. Ultimately, this is all about safety. And if there comes a point where this isn't working, where there is an epidemic or there is a rash of outbreaks, they'll put the brakes on this. You know, they are not committed to playing through no matter what they're committed to playing through as long as it's safe 
So safety still comes first. So with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. Stick with NDInsider.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage during COVID-19 and beyond.